Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Election integrity. Um, we need it. We don't, most of us feel like we've had a lot of it in the last election or in some of the elections before that. We've got some critical ones coming up ahead of us, obviously 2022. And in, here in Virginia, we've got uh, 2021 with the governor's election, and we're all going to be watching that very closely. So I wanted to dig in today to understand what the issues are and what we can be doing about it. And uh, with me are two of my great friends, Ken Blackwell and Ken Klukowski. Uh, both of them are deep subject matter experts in, in this topic. I was joking, their resumes go on for a couple pages, so I can't get it all. But Ken was senior counselor in the U.S. Department of Justice. He also worked in the White House and, and works on litigation with a lot of election-related uh, matters. Ken Blackwell uh, is Center for Election Integrity with the America First Policy Institute. Ken was also mayor of Cincinnati, um, secretary of state for Ohio, and, and, and his list of uh, government and policy-related uh, organ organization involvement goes on and on. So Ken and Ken. The Kens. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, Thank you, Bill. Ken Blackwell, why don't you set the stage? Where, uh, you know, where, where, where have we been? Where are we? And what do we need to be thinking about now? Well, just, just, just quickly, it, you know, Aristotle sort of framed this challenge for us uh, early on when he said that there was a dynamic relationship between the organized power of the state and individual liberty. The framers of our Constitution, the founders of our country, put a harness on that reach of government to actually optimize individual liberty. And in our governance system, uh, the, the way that we have uh, citizens holding the government accountable is through the ballot box. And so the integrity of our election system is paramount to the confidence that people have in the, in the system. 2020, was an extraordinary year in the American experience. Uh, if you go back 100 years, in 1918, we had the pan uh, Spanish flu pandemic. In 1929, we had the major economic disruption. In 1968, we had riots and violence and disruption across uh, in American cities. In 1974, we had the uh, impeachment. Well, in 2020, we had all of those. Uh, and there was an old saying on the left, and it's still current, never let a crisis go to waste. Well, they didn't let 1920, um, excuse me, the 2020 election go to waste. And so what we saw was a loosening of the chain of custody of ballots. We saw uh, verification uh, processes junked and pushed aside. And as a consequence, we saw major irregularities in that election uh, and there is a waning confidence uh, in, that voters have in the integrity of our system. So what we've been working on in these uh, intervening months is things that will tighten the chain of custody uh, and to uh, reestablish verification systems. And the most noted in, this, in that case is the photo ID 
uh, and, and, and that is a point of contention. But if, in fact, we can tighten the chain of custody, reestablish verification systems, we believe that you can put uh, voter confidence back on a plane that's essential. So if we don't get our elections right, we lose our republic. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's at stake. That's we lose our liberty. Ken? Yeah, that's right. And in fact, it's a, I, I love how Ken started. And one of the things I enjoy about long-form journalism, like we're doing right now, <clears throat> is it gives an opportunity to establish context. If we look at first principles here, if we look at how elections started off in this republic, you know, the way they used to do elections, people would gather together, like in the town square or wherever, uh, on election day. And the clerk or the registrar or whoever would, you would, they would have a role of voters. And a person's, it, it looks like we have today in the well of the U.S. Senate, where you have someone who, a, a person's name would be announced, and it's something like Bob Smith. And then Bob would raise his hand in the crowd. And then Bob would announce, yo, Bob would announce who he was voting for. And so that's how voter uh, uh, ID used to work. That was election integrity, is that all of Bill's neighbors are right there. It'd be like in the U.S. Senate, if someone calls out Joe Manchin and all of a sudden Ted Cruz raises his name and announces a vote, they bet Ted, you're not Joe. I mean, so that's how you were able to make sure that you were matching up the way a person would vote. Now, in the 1800s, we by and large went to a secret ballot system. And there is an upside to that, because let's say Bob Smith had announced he was voting for so-and-so, and everyone in the town hated so-and-so. <laughs> Bob might be on the outs with his neighbors. He might even get, you know, punched in the nose uh, after he announced his vote. And so I think there's a, there's a lot of benefit in terms of, a vote, in terms of avoiding undue pressure and duress mm -hmm. and threats of intimidation for people to have the secret ballot. But ever since we went to the secret ballot, the issue is, okay, how can we have that same level of confidence that we're really getting this person's now vote the, that now we used to it's get? It's the by individual courts? states, though, that control what type balloting they want to do, what kind of, what kind of systems they use. Correct. And so generally all the states went to secret balloting in the 1800s, and then it stayed that way until... With the, with a ballot and a ballot box, paper, when did the, how did that start evolving towards what we have now? Well, it went through a period of decades, and every okay. and every place did it at, at a at a different pace. Yeah. But the the relevant constitutional provision here is the elections clause, Article right. One, Section Four, Clause One of the Constitution, that says the times, place, and, and manner of elections shall be determined by the legislature uh, of each state. Though that Congress may uh, may at any time uh, uh, alter uh, those regulations, a lot of what we're seeing right now with these bills that are on Capitol Hill is is there a limit to how far Congress can go? Can Congress take what the states have done and add to it? Can it augment it? Can it modify it? What has never been tried before? And what congressional Democrats are trying to do right now is a wholesale ouster to pass a multi-hundred-page comprehensive code, citing that authority to alter or modify, citing that authority to completely throw states out of the business and establish a universal federal code. So what's at stake for us right now are the pieces of legislation in Congress and... It's the centralization of power in the federal government. 
going against the grain of states' rights and the decentralization of power that the framers established by granting states this authority to set the time, manner, and place. This is a power grab by the federal well, government. Well, they've been giving us a target. They, we started out with H.R. 1, and I don't think that had the votes. And then they went to H.R. 4, which is now called the John Lewis Voting yeah. Rights Act, trying right. to associate this with a civil rights uh, hero, and that's smart marketing, I suppose. But what's in that bill, and you worked in the Justice Department, is that it basically, as I understand it, requires every state, anytime they want to make any of the slightest changes in their election laws, let's say even moving a precinct or maybe even moving a, a location, they got to take it to the Justice Department, to the Civil Rights yeah, Division that's the, for approval? Yeah, that's the expansion of the uh, preclearance provision in the old Civil Rights Act of 1965, which, in fact, was, was geared towards a, a small number of states and jurisdictions. Now what they want to do by hook or crook is to make it apply to all and, states. And we thought that was, that. let me put this in the right way, that seemed to be like a good idea at the time because it was aimed at the southern states and their voting in the Jim Crow, law, Crow, law, Jim Crow laws to keep those elections fair for uh, everybody. And was that a good idea at the time? Oh, it was a good idea at the time. Uh, but in fact, there was major improvements uh, in the, 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 the election laws at, at the state level. But let's, let's give a clear example to your, your viewers. Look. Uh, Jim Crow, uh, a black voter would go into a, a precinct and there was a jar of jelly beans. Uh, and that voter would be asked, how many jelly beans are in that jar? Uh, and if he couldn't get the number, he didn't get the vote. Well, to equate asking for a photo ID of every voter as a throwback to Jim Crow laws is stupid on its face. It is, in fact, crazy. I mean, that's why these woke corporations that that decided that they were going to label uh, these reform practices as being racism or racist was were, were, were crazy. Well, well, to well, give you, let me just give you one example. Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines. <laughs> you know, can 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 you imagine? And I'm almost a three million dollar with Delta. Uh, I'm a Diamond member. Can you imagine me going up to the to the to a border plane? And or, or to get my ticket, and they say, uh, "Where's your ID?" And I say, "Or oh, here's my utility bill." Yeah, they would look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, you and know, did, or Major League Baseball. If I left Ken some 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 tickets at the will call window, and, and please he, do, and, and, he, <laughs> and he went up and said, "Here's my utility well, bill." Well, well context, context. Delta Airlines weighed in on the Georgia voting rights bill, mm -hmm. and saying that it was racist, mm -hmm. and that all it required was a voter ID. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, you. Three, three things on that, and you're getting a feel for how Ken and I tag team things. <laughs> well, well, let me give you some more context. He has you've been, you've been, you've been writing policy. papers yes. on this together for years. Yes, yeah. yes, more than a decade. And where can we find all your writings? All over the well, place. Well, the, the, <laughs> the, the principal one is the uh, Yale uh, Law Review article that we did uh, in 2009, and we'll make sure that you get a copy of that. Okay, so we'll make it sure it's on the Yale Law right. Policy okay. Review, yeah. Yeah. called The and, Other Voting Right. And, and well, what, we, what we said is that in the first 40 years after uh, the 65 Voting Rights Act was passed was, in fact, focused on breaking down unfair barriers to access to the ballot box. But for the last 15 years, we've been looking at 
it, the, 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 the reasonable duties of citizenship that require that we take protections against any illegal ballot or fraudulent ballot negating those of legal voters uh, and, their, and their ballots. Uh, and that is where we, in fact, have made sure that there, is, uh, there are common practices and policies in place that protect us against fraud. The way we tag team this is Ken hits the politics and policy, and then I get the, the legal, uh, the flip side of the same coin. To, to add to Ken's great answer on what you were talking about with preclearance and taking it to the pending John Lewis bill, uh, that all that legislation actually doesn't come from the elections clause of the Constitution. That's all coming from the 15th Amendment to the Constitution, which makes it illegal to, uh, to deny or abridge someone's right to vote on account of race. And then Section 2 of that amendment says that Congress can enforce the provisions of that amendment by appropriate legislation. And that's what the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was. It was passed to give, to, to implement and flesh out the details of the 15th Amendment. But in South Carolina v. Katzenbach in, in, in the 1960s, I believe 1966, when the Supreme Court looked at preclearance, they acknowledged that this was a fundamental shift in, the, in our system of federalism when it came to elections. They acknowledged that the Constitution gives states the primary role and that here was the federal government jumping to the fore in that regard. And you have to understand, in the late 1960s, these were the days of the, of the Warren Court, the most liberal years in U.S. Supreme Court history. And even the Warren Court said, this is just barely constitutional. But they said, but what is going on in these places, mainly in the South, it's so egregious, it is so systemic, that those extraordinary circumstances justify extraordinary measures from Congress to combat these violations of voting rights. But that was the mid-1960s. Now, in 1997, in the case City of Bernie v. Flores, the Supreme Court said that the parallel provision in the 14th Amendment, after the Civil War, we passed three amendments, 13th Amendment ending slavery, 14th Amendment to enact due process and equal protection, 15th Amendment specifically guaranteeing voting rights. The last section of all three amendments say that Congress can enforce the protections of this article through appropriate legislation. In the 1997 case on that 14th Amendment issue, equal, it, it, it was uh, the, the Supreme Court said that what that last section in each amendment means, that was talking about the 14th Amendment, and I would say the same standard holds true for the parallel section in the 15th Amendment, they said, what is appropriate legislation? They said, there are two things to keep in mind. One is that this is not the power of Congress to make new rights. It's merely to enforce the rights that are already in the Constitution. And whatever legislation they take, they must engage in formal fact-finding to find out what the violations are. And then they have to pass legislation that is both congruent and proportional to these violations of rights that the states are doing. But then the other thing they said that everyone loses sight of is that they said, however, it is up to the judiciary to say what is or is not a violation of those rights. Once the courts say rights are being violated, Congress can pass legislation to enforce it. But Congress cannot say, like in this case, that voter ID is a violation of 15th Amendment rights <laughs> on the basis of race. Mm -hmm. 
Only the courts can say that. And then once the courts identify violations, Congress can pass laws to address it. If the courts say that something is not a violation, then Congress has no authority to mm. pass a law that would outlaw it. That is what is going on with the John Lewis Act, is that they're saying that all of these common sense measures are violations of voting rights. Only the courts can say it, and, and the Supreme Court has never said that. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Ken Blackwell and Ken Klukowski, uh, election mavens all or both, <laughs> and we're learning about the Voting Rights Act of 65 and and, and how, that, uh, how times have changed and... Uh, we want to go back to the constitutional principles uh, with our voting rights. Uh, Ken? Well, you know, I give a practical example. The opportunity in two, uh, 2020 uh, created a situation where uh, there was loose use of mass mail-in ballots. Uh, what the Lewis Act would do, what S-1 and H.R. 1 would do was to actually take the, the, the guardrails off of mass uh, mail-in balloting and, 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 and make it um, uh, widespread. Well, let me just tell you, I am the co-chairman of the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, uh, and we, in fact, help uh, uh, countries all over the world with voting integrity matters and, and, and voting um, uh, administration matters. There is not another country in the world that uses mail-in balloting to the scale that we used it in 2020. And the reason for that is because you don't have the accountability systems in terms of uh, verification, uh, and you lose the chain of custody. Uh, opening the system up to widespread fraud and irregularities and incompetencies, uh, and that would destroy uh, the confidence. And so this is a power struggle. I mean, simple well, put. Yeah, there are a lot of people who think, and I think I'm among them, that the Democrats used the, the lockdowns, the pandemic, the COVID-19, that crisis to bring about all these election uh, 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 changes and mm -hmm. which benefited them, mm -hmm. and now they want to make those permanent. Permanent, that's it. And uh, you know, we can over we can talk about how much that crisis has been overstated, but they certainly have got us in a box now. Yeah. Now, it, the legislation is, is there. Is there a single piece of legislation we need to be concerned about? And before we answer that question, what's the gold standard for an election? I mean, it, I used to think it was paper ballots, and you put them in there. And then I hear somebody say, well, no, paper ballots are very easily used for fraud. So what it, what's the gold standard that we ought to be telling people this has got to be the uh, right way to do it? I think, I, th think, I think we have to get back, and this is where uh, the young Mr. Ken Kukowski has been uh, the, uh, the, the, my guidance counselor. Uh, and uh, 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 that's, a, that's a big job, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> He's being modest, as if, I, as if I could ever be his guidance counselor. Yeah, okay. But after a few minutes, I do want if you need extra work as a lawyer, I'd be glad to hire you. I appreciate it. We, we, we need to get back to a, 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 a premium being placed on voting on election day in the precinct. Okay. That's what we. That's that's the gold standard, uh, and, and and I'll just say this: that uh, over a decade ago, uh, a commission, a national commission, 
led by former President uh, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, and former Secretary of State Jim Baker, basically underscored the impracticality and high risk to fraud that mail balloting would, 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 would take. Uh, and uh, I, I think that we need to go back to making sure that we have precinct workers at every precinct, bipartisan, eyeball to eyeball, voting at the precinct level on election day. You tighten the chain of command, I mean, the chain of custody of ballots, uh, and you have an added verification system going back to the original, you know, I'm Bob Smith. Oh, yes, you're Bob Smith, because neighbors are verifying neighbors or who they say they are. Precinct level is so important, uh, and, and we've had over hundreds of thousands of precincts uncovered uh, by men and women of both parties, and that, in fact, has led to, uh, I think, uh, a lack of confidence in the results. Uh, particularly when you have this this manipulation. So that's the gold standard place. is an election day, precinct by precinct, verification of voters, um, poll watchers mm -hmm. the, on both sides. Mm -hmm. Is there a fifth or sixth element? And to answer your question on that, and everything Ken said was right, with paper ballots. Now, sure, are there people who can talk about how you can man manipulate paper ballots? Yes. But, but you can manipulate electronic entries even more easily. Okay. Having a physical paper ballot with like serial numbers or other unique modify, uh, uh, identifiers so that they can't be mass produced, they can't be copied, uh, marks, there are marks and technologies, including embedded technologies that you can put into the paper itself to make sure that it's the genuine article, uh, that, that it can't be replicated. Yes, it's it's uh, it, no system is foolproof. It's a matter of belt and suspenders, and then another belt and another set of suspenders. It's a matter of uh, adding as many layers of protection as we can to protect from multiple angles, so that we can ensure that the that the tally that we have corresponds to physical ballots that can be tied uh, ultimately, even though it's a secret ballot that can be matched up with who actually voted in the election. And that putting all those components together, that's where you can have confidence that the results that you certify okay. accurately reflect the will so, of the so, voters. So what are the poll numbers on voter ID? Aren't they like 70, 75% of Americans 75, believe? 80% believe. 80% we need. Because photo IDs are so commonplace in America. You know, uh, library card, that you know, you're going to grocery store to buy six pack of beer i mean it's, it's just it's so commonplace to, to to label it as one being unrealistic and and a prohibitive uh requirement is crazy uh and uh to to make it uh, uh tantamount to how many jars uh, how many uh jelly beans are in this jar it's, it's just crazy. They're going to put that at the gate of Delta Airlines. <laughs> <Del Nero. laughs> that's right. That's right. I don't know. They're, they're not going to have a lot of flight. people on the plane. That's right. And and for those who specifically try and say that voter ID is racist, if you break down those poll numbers, 61% of black voters support voter ID. So a solid majority of black voters support voter ID. 64% of Hispanic voters support voter ID. So not only is it overwhelmingly popular in the entire 
uh, body uh, politic here in America, but the groups that the Nancy Pelosi's of the world and the Joe Biden's of the world and the Chuck Schumer's of the world, the groups that they say, no, we have to oppose this because it hurts certain groups of Americans. If you look just at the numbers of those groups, it's popular with them too. And Bill, we have an early test in Virginia in a matter of weeks. Uh, That's why it's so important uh, that that folks are uh, are, uh, making sure that there's poll coverage uh, at every precinct, uh, there is, you know, look, the, 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 they have created something called ballot harvesting. Uh, and uh, the reality is the, the way that people protect their ballot in, in this age of ballot harvesting is to, is to, is to vote early uh, as, as possible right now, you know, and, until What's we get it, now, it. Explain ballot harvesting. Well, ballot harvesting is you, you can have groups that can collect ballots uh, and, and turn them in as opposed to the individual uh, voter. So, uh, doesn't so you give have a whole lot of opportunity to. Uh, well, to... wouldn't you think? Because most states would have laws that say that if you can't deliver your ballot in person, it specifies like a family member or your health care provider that, they, that the law specifies if it's anyone other than you. What few types of people can actually touch your ballot and say, I'm delivering a ballot for Bill Walton? He can't be here. He's in the hospital or he's in a nursing home or whatever, but it's I'm, I'm his son and here's, here's who I am and I am delivering the ballot for him. Ballot harvesting is when there's no restrictions on that. And so all of a sudden you get people from political activist groups who say, oh, I've got a whole bunch of ballots to deliver for How many states allow ballot, ballot harvesting now? The number it, keeps changing. It, it, it does keep changing, but I would say that it's over. It's approaching half of the states. Well, I'm trying to get this genie back in the bottle because it all got blown up in 2020. We have to work on yeah. the, making sure that we curtail or eliminate ballot harvesting, getting back to verification processes and individual responsibility. It's a duty of citizenship. Uh, that within the the four squares of the law, you, the individual does it. But, but I want to underscore something I'm saying. Right now, the rules of the game in Virginia allow for right. ballot harvesting. Yes. We cannot sit on the sideline. Uh, we have responsible groups, church groups, what have you, that can encourage folks to uh, to constructively use within the four corners of the established rules now the the ballot harvesting. Or if we sit on the sidelines. We're going to watch a candidate in Virginia who is showing uh, electoral superiority get his clock clean by by these the, this, you mean, this practice. You mean the the candidate who, if Bill and Hillary Clinton had had a boy, it would have been named Terry McAuliffe? Is <laughs> using ballot harvesting. Uh, so what and, do we do about it in Virginia? I mean, I, I know everybody's watching this from all over, but what it, this this bears on the next elections in 2022. What do we need to actually do to, well, to stop well, this? Well, one, first, you, you, you make sure that every precinct and polling place is covered on election day. Uh, two, you, in fact, in a responsible manner within the four corners of the law, actually use all of the organizations that we have in, in our deployment church-based groups or faith-based groups, what have you, to and political groups to make sure that we are uh, 
you know, gathering election ballots uh, and legally casting them to make sure that we don't get swamped. Right. We have uh, to win uh, our game. You're watching the Bill Walton vote. Show. I'm here with Ken Klukowski and Ken Blackwell, and we're, we're talking about what we can actually do to make sure we got a free and fair election initially in Virginia, but then in every state in the country. Ken, sorry. Uh, absolutely. It's because the Democrats have shown what happens when you have a Democrat chief executive, in this case in Virginia, a governor, in both yeah. the House and Senate. That's where they made ballot harvesting legal. It is set by law. It can only be undone by law. But that means that once they have it in place, you're going to have to beat even by the rules that they've installed into the game. You're going to have to play by their rules and overwhelm them and beat them. And then as soon as you have back majority, and in this case, the governor's mansion, you need to, you need to fix those laws. Uh, and, and to take the high ground of the law here, just this summer, in the case Brnovich versus Democrat National Committee, the DNC had sued saying that Arizona was violating the Voting Rights Act, to go back what we've been saying, because they did not allow ballot harvesting. And the Supreme Court came down and said resoundedly that Arizona's had a legal right to make that decision. Not that it had to be legal, not that it had to be illegal, but that it belongs to the states to decide that. It doesn't violate any federal law to say no ballot. Well, I tell you, as soon as we win using ballot harvesting, we will we will pick up advocates for doing away with yeah. it that are Democrats. Yeah, that's right. They'll lose interest in it if we win an election. And let me tell you, I want to just make this, make this clear. They have gaslighted the public into believing that Republicans are the minority party in this country. Republicans control more uh, chambers of state legislatures, more governors, you know, more county commission seats. Uh, we are not the minority. And therefore, if we use within the four corners of the law this tool that they have created and we win, they would then join us in correcting the process. So we need to get into ballot harvesting. <laughs> How do we do that in Virginia? Well, it's, it's, uh, I, 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 love, leave, I love beating up in their own game. I, this, I, this I, be... I leave election day operations mainly to others, but an example would be uh, people of faith. Uh, like okay. in Virginia, are supporting Glenn Youngkin's campaign. So it's like saying, okay, then we'll set up voting operations through your local church. And then you know, the church can drop off a, a batch of ballots because if you don't do it early for the states that allow it, what we are seeing in state after state where Democrats have enacted the, the, these laws, you have people showing up on election day who were told, wait, our records what, say you what about, already What about voted. groups focused on education? I mean, Terry McAuliffe has now told us that uh, he does not believe parents should have any say in how their children are educated. He right. just said that in a debate with right. Glenn Youngkin. It was a stunning moment. Oh, yes. And McAuliffe firmly believes that critical race theory belongs in the curriculum, and that's one thing that's got everybody very upset, uh, uh, at least people on, on our side. Uh, is there a group that could be focused on education that could harvest ballots? Oh, I, I just tell you, look, the, the Virginia Policy Institute, okay. uh, you know, is, is 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 working with a number of national organizations, uh, the uh, Conservative Partnership Initiative or Institute, uh, Freedom Works, Family Research Council. All of these groups, you know, have to have a coordinated effort 
to uh, make sure that uh, th these harvested ballots by McCullough's <clears throat> forces, you know, are, are, are swamped by harvested ballots uh, from our side. And then, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, when we have control again, as Ken has indicated, I think we, we need to work back to uh, a system that uh, is, is, is less uh, subjective to misuse. I don't advocate the misuse of the system. There, there are ways and legal ways that well, you do ballot harvesting. Well, if they made it legal, why, not, right. why not exactly. play that's by right. those rules? Right. I mean, that's, 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 otherwise, it's unilateral disarmament. Yeah, you can't, you're fine. You can't unilaterally disarm. Yeah. That's right. So we got just a couple minutes left because I got to let you guys go back into the <laughs> onto the battlefield. Um, let's come back to the federal th issue, the John Wright's Voting Act. Where where does that stand? Is there any other bad stuff in Congress that is also related to that, or is that the main thing we need to be concerned about? There are two statutes pending. One is that, and the other is when Joe Manchin, who by some measures could be called the most powerful man in in Washington uh, right now. Uh, is uh, when he indicated that he had concerns about H.R. 1, the first big attempted total takeover, like 900 pages, a huge law. Some of it elections clause, some of it 15th Amendment, just everything, some of it campaign finance and First Amendment, everything you could imagine they tried cramming into a big federal takeover. When he became clear that he was not going to support that, they have... Uh, written a, a light version of H.R. 1. So the two bills currently are the John Lewis Act and then the watered-down H.R. 1, which took out the parts that Joe Manchin had publicly explained he was not comfortable with. So they just wrote a new bill that took out those those things, hoping to get his vote. But my and guess is that, that the up. bill, the John Wright's voting bill, light, is almost as bad as the first one. Well, that one is... It, one is like a uh, carpet bombing and the other is like a guided missile that takes out the center of town. So because it's the, the carpet it's, it's, bombing. It's, 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 I hope it's not an over horizon. <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah, we, we've seen when it comes to election laws, you see that they don't really believe that over the horizon works. They want to be right there in your grill uh, and in your ballot box and having friends come to your house to help you fill out your ballot and then help collect it for you. Yeah. So it's uh, it, those are the two bills that are pending right now. What it will all turn on is that Chuck Schumer is trying to say this can be done through reconciliation on a 50-50 vote. So oh, long Lord. as Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and other people of goodwill, regardless of their poli uh, uh, regardless of their party affiliation, say, I'm not going to blow up the Senate rules. This is still subject so, to a 60 so, 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 so this is yet another bad thing being rolled into the reconciliation bill? They, they, right, they, right. They, Along with climate to. change? Right. And, right. right. They're I, trying to. Right. And, and, and look, Joe Manchin has to uh, decide if he's going to be a puppet of uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer or if he's going to vote the interests not only of the nation, but of well, West Virginians. Well, West Virginia went 70% for Donald Trump, oh, oh, maybe oh, 75 oh, oh, How right, What are the people right, of West Virginia doing now? Well, I, all I would, of the polling that I see is that Joe Manchin is un, under underwater. Uh, he, in fact, is losing popularity every time he looks as if he's, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Nancy uh, Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer. Look, I know that we're, we're near the end. One of the things, yeah, let's, one, let's one, give, one, let's give uh, a, one of the take us out of this. One of the great things 
about being the senior Ken is that <laughs> I can let him talk and then I can say, well said, son. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I would just leave you with uh, a, a, a comment from the great um, um, abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass said, those who are whooped easiest are whooped most often. Uh, my message is simple. Fight and fight now. Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> Ken Blackwell, Ken Kukowski, thanks for joining Bill Walton Show. Thank you, Bill. Uh, we'll have you back with some, we'll hopefully take a couple of victory laps uh, uh, soon. And uh, thanks for fighting this fight, and I'm uh, glad to be part of it with you. So anyway, thanks you all for watching The Bill Walton Show, and uh, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube some of the time, unless they've pulled us. I don't <laughs> think they will for this one. But anyway, this is, this is a great conversation, and we'll be back to tell you more as we make progress in this front. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone, and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.